Oh, well, I'm filled with um, great joy this evening (laughs) because I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Every single one of you, there is an overwhelming urge uh, within me to just grab every one of you and hug you for the next 45 minutes and speak a word of the Lord over your life. That's within me. Um, And if you don't know me and you're a little bit scared right now, (laughs) who doesn't know me here tonight? (laughs) Okay, so my name's Johnny. Uh, My wife Bex and I used to be the youth and young adult pastors here for five years. Uh, and this is, this is our home. Uh, for the last year and, and a bit, we have travelled uh, around New Zealand, through Cambodia, uh, through Mozambique and South Africa um, on, a, on a really beautiful journey that God has taken us down. But we've been a part of the body of Christ and we've been surrounded by phenomenal and special and precious people. Don't get me wrong. But there's something about coming home. And we, we flew in on, I think, the 22nd of December. And we stayed a couple of nights in Tauranga and we drove back um, here to be here for the Christmas Eve service. And I don't really know what happened in the Christmas Eve service because I just spent the whole time sitting over there bawling my eyes out saying, this is my house. This is my family. And so thank you. Thank you for being family. Thank you for giving yourself a wonderful measure to being a part of the body of Christ because there is truly no more precious design on the face of the planet than what he has crafted together, the design that he's made for us to live in. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. One of the things that you come to know as you start to get to know Father, Son and Holy Spirit more is that there is a phenomenal unity between them. An incredible unity. A unity that cannot be broken. They each point to one another. They each love one another and they each honour one another. John chapter 16 says that the Holy Spirit honours, he glorifies Christ. He takes what is Christ's and gives it to us. It says that the Spirit honours Christ. John chapter 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he prays to God the Father and he says, glorify me that I may glorify you. It's an incredible prayer, the revelation that God wants to drop glory on you because the only way to glorify God is to receive glory and then give it back. I can't find glory within me. That's not his design. His design is to drop himself into me that I may glorify him back. And so Christ prays to Father, glorify me that I may glorify you. Spirit glorifies Christ, Christ glorifies Father. In Isaiah chapter 42, God says these incredible words, prophetically speaking about Christ. He says, Behold my Son, capital S, whom I uphold. Father says, Behold my Son, whom I undergird and I strengthen and I give of that he may stand. And so the Father takes the glory that has been given from Spirit to Son to Father and gives it back to Christ. It buzzes my mind. I hope you're getting this not in the words, but here. There's an incredible, phenomenal unity between Father, Son and Spirit. Why did Satan rejoice at Christ's death? It wasn't because Christ died. 
Satan rejoiced at Christ's death because for the first time in history, as we know it within the time domain and out the time domain, the unity of the Trinity had been broken. Matthew 27, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the first time in all of history that Father, Son and Spirit were not together. And Satan thought he had won because he had separated the unity of Father, Son and Spirit. He had broken something. He didn't have the full picture, praise God. But if that's the kind of unity that the Trinity have, and we are to live as Christ, I believe that's the kind of unity that we are to have in the body. And if Satan's attempt to take down the Trinity was to break the unity, what will be his attempt to, break out, to take the body of Christ down? It'll be to break our unity. This isn't what I want to speak to you about tonight, but I've got it pumping on my heart that this is really, really, really important for, for you right now as a body, that it's so important. Something that God taught me while we were away, and it, it wasn't a new revelation, but it was a deepened revelation, is that if you curse the church, you curse yourself. You speak against the church, you speak against yourself. Why? I'm in the body with Simon. We are one body. Come with me. We're, we're, we're two parts of a body and you cannot separate us in the spirit. The way he's designed it, when Simon gave his heart to God and came into the body, when I gave my heart and came into the body, we stand like this. And so if Simon frustrates me and I go, oh, Simon's an idiot, all I'm doing is speaking out a curse that turns around and comes straight back on me because we're one. You get that? We're one. I can't separate myself from him. I'm like, I don't like him, God. I want to go this way. And he's like, I don't like Johnny. I want to go that way. But we can't separate. Thank you. Love you. <laughs> and one of the things he taught me while we were away was that if you're experiencing division in your family, division in your marriage, ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to reveal to you if there was a time where you sowed division in the body. Because if you sow division, sorry, let me backtrack. God said, take dominion over all the earth, yeah? He gave us power. Every time we speak, every time we think, every time we act, we align the power that's in me to either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. We give power. We either take the power that God has given us and give it back to him in beautiful stewardship and we receive more in that transaction or we take the power that he's given us, we give it to the kingdom of darkness and empower the kingdom of darkness over us. And so when I speak out against a brother or a sister, I'm taking the power that I have, aligning it to Satan's kingdom and giving him permission to heap it back on my own head. And so if you speak against the body down the road here, in another country, in another place. You curse the church, you curse yourself. You are the church. This doesn't mean that we don't deal with issues because we've all got issues. <laughs> doesn't mean we just go, oh, everything's wonderful and perfect because I can't, I can't say anything. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I really feel like God here wants to take us to another level of unity because if we are going to steward another move of the Spirit, it has to be us. Bill Johnson says that there has never before in history been a move where a body of people have stewarded the power of God together. There have been individuals. 
There have been individuals that have, the power of God has fallen upon them and phenomenal things have happened. Smith Wigglesworth, you can rattle out names as many times, the Apostle Paul. But there hasn't really been a time in history where a whole body were able to come together in such unity that God said, I can pour more out on you. I can't do it on an individual because you're only a part of the body. He can't pour the fullness of himself onto me. But together he can pour the fullness of himself into us. But for us to be that, there has to be unity. There must be unity. And so I want to urge you, urge you, urge you to take the journey of saying, God, teach me what it looks like to operate in unity. Teach me what it looks like. Because I still don't know. I still find myself messing up. Someone does something or says something and there's something so quick on my tongue and sometimes the Holy Spirit cautions me and I stop and other times he cautions me and I just go right on ahead because there's this soulish battle within me between my soul and my spirit. There's a battle between mind, will and emotions and spirit of God and my mind, will and emotions wants to criticise another person because then I feel better. It's a simple equation. We know that equation. But I just want to urge you, urge you, urge you, urge you, urge you to take the journey of unity. Because what would happen? I long for the day when someone who has been walking with God can walk through those doors. Together, we look at that person and we go, we see a gift of, uh, on your life, whatever it may be. We see the gift. Now, it's an immature gift but we see the gift and we give you permission to exercise the gift. Because that's what happened to me. I'm only standing here tonight because six years ago, someone said, Johnny, I think I see this gift on your life and I'll let you exercise the gift. And it was an incredibly immature gift. And this body has paid the price for my immature gift that I may mature. You have whether you know it or not. I know that some people will have left the rock because of me. Breaks my heart. But God desires a kind of unity where we don't ask people to qualify the gift because to ask them to qualify the gift means that it's not a gift, it's a reward. Does that make sense? So I come here tonight and I believe God has said that I am to operate in a certain function in the body and you will either have grace for some parts of my gift that will be mature and some parts that will be immature and some parts that will be really immature. And you'll either look to the gift of God on me and say, I give permission to the gift to be taught and led and stewarded by the gift. Or you're going to go, oh, I don't like that Johnny guy. And so a curse that reaps on your own head. Like I said, doesn't mean we don't deal with issues. Something I was going to say, what was it? Come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. kind of been important. Never mind. Computer work. Okay. We've been in Africa uh, for most of last year. And for those of you who know, we went to um, spend some time with Heidi and Roland Baker and Iris Ministries. Uh, we felt like God uh, encouraged and anointed us to to go there, and he released us and he freed us in an incredibly beautiful way. Um, and when you go to an environment where the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, 
as a very normal part of a, of a day or a week. We got there on a Thursday night. On Saturday, a little girl, three years old, born with white eyes. Uh, a bunch of people get around her, pray for her. They've never seen anybody healed of blindness before in their life. Get around her, pray for her for 45 minutes. They pry open her eyes because she always had them closed because she was little and she couldn't see, so there was no point to open her eyelids. They'd looked at her eyes beforehand. They'd look at them again and, oh, hello, your eyes are there. <laughs> They're normal. And a little girl suddenly has her eyes pried open and suddenly goes, oh, I can see. And for the first time stands up and starts to walk across the stage because she can now see to walk across the stage. So we got there Thursday, that happened Saturday. Um, a, a few days after that, um, there was... <laughs> here's one of the beautiful things about Iris Ministries. Like You go to a church service... Um, where the body gather together to be the church, just in case Greg listens to the CD. Because um, we are the church, we don't go to church. Um, you'd go to a service and there would just be like seven or eight people with wheelchairs who would just come because they kind of heard that this was the place that you go to. And I love it. I'm like, oh God, that we would carry that, that we would be graced to walk in the supernatural. Like, I love that word, the supernatural. It's not just natural. It's natural for me to scratch myself and pick my nose, right? But it's supernatural. It's more natural than natural for me to operate in the external manifestation of the kingdom. That's what the word means, supernatural. Phenomenal, hey? So fun. So that that we would be known for that. And, And so we went to this environment where all this stuff was happening. And God very, 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 very quickly just went... And he hid us away in the palm of his hand. And he said, I don't want you to, not that I don't want you to do that stuff, but I didn't bring you here to be schooled in an external manifestation of the kingdom. And that's what we thought partially we were going for. People said to us, do you have an expectation of why you're going? And we were like, well, yeah, our expectation is that we will be with him. Because that's the point. What he chooses to do with the time doesn't matter. Our expectation is that we'd be with him. But We did have an expectation that going to that kind of hot tank environment where God was just doing phenomenal stuff, so fun. There was a woman being prayed, just let me digress for a second. There's a woman being prayed for in a wheelchair and her leg like on this side was, no sorry, this side was um, very, very short, finished about here. And we're in a service and a bunch of people go and start praying for her and I really, 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 really wanted to go. But God just said to me, hey, that's not why I brought you here. You can watch but honour my purpose, honour my intent. Don't step out of tune with what Father is doing. (laughs) That's what Jesus did, I didn't do what I see the Father doing. And he wasn't doing that in me, so I watched. And Bex and I were watching, and and like, it was kind of hard to see because there were just people everywhere. But this leg just starts to go, and because she'd never used it, it was like, let me come up here so those that are craning to see. Her leg started to go like that, in case you didn't get that. And, and, and her leg, because she'd never used it, it was just like this thin, thin bone all the way down. It was like bone and then skin. It had no muscle. And then her calf muscle just kind of goes, blah, 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 blah. And this calf grows out. And you're like, well, that's fun. <laughs> Hebrews, for the what set before him, Christ endured the cross. For the joy, we learnt to laugh in Mozambique a whole lot more than we ever have before. Heidi and Roland say that, man, when people are tossing grenades over your wall or you're being stoned for the gospel or people are trying to shoot you, you kind of need joy. Easy for us to see in that scenario. I would suggest that when you live in Wellington, 
you're trying to walk humbly with your God. You're trying to live in such a manner that the kingdom of God comes through you. I'd say you need the joy. I'd say you need the joy. I need the joy. And when you see that sort of stuff happening, whether it be a manifestation in a physical healing or an internal healing or revelation, it just is fun. And I, I, I really want us to carry another level of desire for the fun. So anyway, we go to this environment where all this stuff's happening. And God very, very clearly says to us, it's not what I'm doing with you. I brought you here that you would not receive revelation and do the revelation. I brought you here that you would receive revelation and become the revelation. And I want to speak tonight about the difference between becoming the, revel- becoming the kingdom of God and doing the kingdom of God. Because when Jesus, when Jesus was in the boat with the fishermen, I love you guys, welcome home. We missed you. When Jesus was in the boat um, with the fishermen, sorry, with the disciples, and the storm came up and they woke him, what Jesus did is he took the kingdom of God within him and he stretched out a rug of peace over the water. And the kingdom that was within him went out over the water and the peace took dominion over the waves and calmed them. But for us, I would suggest that for most of us, that's not what it's like. I think we get it in theory, but in terms of carrying the revelation and operating like it, I, I think probably for most of us it's a little bit different. It, is different. it has been definitely for me, and I'm on a journey with it. This is what it's like for me. Someone comes to, to, for prayer for healing. I'm standing praying for them, whether it be at home, in the street, here, whatever. God's everywhere. It's a good thing. Standing praying for them. If I close my eyes and I go, God, what's the picture of your healing coming look like in my mind right now? As I'm praying, I see myself imparting faith to the person that stirs the kingdom of heaven up there somewhere to fall on the person and create a change. Is that what it's like for you guys? It's like I see the kingdom of God as being this thing up there somewhere that we can access, but, but it, it, it falls from here. But that's not how Jesus did it. It's not how Peter did it in Acts chapter 3. When Peter and John came across the lame man, Peter said, look at me, and then he said, what I have, I give you. In other words, the kingdom of God that is within me, I have become the kingdom, and in listening to the Father, I can stretch out a rug of healing and a rug that defies the spirit of infirmity and a rug of power over you, and you become well. Not my strength. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. It's not glory and honour to me, but it explains why the people always wanted to worship the disciples. You know, how many times in there was it that the disciples did something phenomenal and the people came and went, oh, well, we want to worship you, we want to worship you. Because what they had literally seen with their own eyes was a person reach within themselves and pull out something over another person. And so they wanted to honour and glorify the person. They got it a little bit wrong Glorify Christ. Glorify God within. It's not Johnny. It has nothing to do with Johnny. It has everything to do with Christ. But I don't access the kingdom out here. I access the kingdom here. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 verse 9, what does he say? He says, as I am, so should you be. He says to his church, the church that he's leading, whatever you have seen in me, Whatever you have heard from me, whatever you have seen me do, just do those things and the God of peace will be with you. 
Like, does that strike you as being incredibly arrogant? It's like, what? It almost sounds like he's building the gospel of Paul. It sounds like he's just gathering people around himself and saying, Can copy me because I'm the man. That's what it sounds like he's doing. But no, he carried the revelation. It's no longer Paul that lives, but Christ that lives in Paul. Christ is in me. So whatever you see me do, just copy it. You're copying Christ. It's the revelation that the kingdom is not to be done, but the kingdom is to become, it's to become who we are. I want to just make it really, really clear that it's one of Heidi's favourite sayings. I love it. She said all the time, it's not either or, it's both and more. It's not either or, it's both and more. I'm not saying don't do the work of the kingdom because it's been my journey that so often as I've got a revelation of something, I've put it to work and it's the putting to work that actually makes me realise that I have no capacity to, in intimacy with Father, pull it out at will, if that makes sense. When Bill Johnson talks about healing, he tells a story that... that um, who, who knows Bill Johnson? He's, a, he's an amazing man. Um, I'm not following the gospel of Bill. It's just that in so much that he says and so much that he writes, that Jesus and me recognises that Jesus and him and we have a big Jesus party. <laughs> and so when I mention his name, it's not that I'm bringing glory or honour to him. I bring thankfulness to him for taking the journey that he has because it's cost him. But I give honour to Christ for leading him on the journey that he's taken Bill on. Bill Johnson says that um, he tells a story about going on a crusade. I think him and, um, who's the other guy at Bethel? Chris uh, Valentin. Um, he and Chris go on this crusade thing in Mexico and they take along this guy with them who's been in their church for 30 years, has never prayed for a person in his life. I mean not once has ever, 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 ever prayed for a person. And Bill Johnson's kind of like, wow, like we spend a lot of time encouraging that. <laughs> you know, if you know anything about Bethel, they're pretty out there with that stuff. And so they take this guy along. At the crusade, blind person comes forward from, from Mexico. Bill lays hands, prays, nothing happens. Chris lays hands, prays, nothing happens. Bill lays hands again, prays, nothing happens. <laughs> and then they just encourage them to go and, and to keep being ministered to. And so the blind person gets led off and Bill Johnson says he watches as he gets led to this man who has never prayed for anyone in his life. And Bill Johnson's like, oh, I wonder how this is going to go because that's a pretty big first assignment, you know? Hey, you want to pray for people? Here's a blind person. It's like, come on, God, you could have given me the flu or something, you know? Like, you know, this guy prays, real simple prayer, non-dramatic, and hello, blind person can see. Happened four more times on the trip. Five blind people in seven days got healed. Bill Johnson talks about it's not a case of you work your way up to certain diseases or infirmities or or certain manifestations of the kingdom. But what does happen is as you mature in your capacity to become the kingdom and stretch the kingdom out, there is a greater consistency. And so when you see the Father doing something, because you have become Christ because you have died and Christ now lives in you, there's a capacity to take what's in you and stretch it out every time. And this is why great faith healers like Catherine Kuhlman, Smith Wigglesworth, like they never got it all the time, but they had this, this incredible capacity to, when they saw God doing something, consistently reach within them to find Christ and add that to the equation. And so it's not either or, it's both and more. 
Luke chapter 9, just to illustrate that, Luke chapter 9 and 10, Jesus sends the, the disciples out and he sends them out to pray and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and so on and so forth. Luke chapter 11, the disciples come back and say, um, teach us how to pray. Luke's written in chronological order. It means it's written in the order that stuff happened. Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends the disciples out to pray. Luke chapter 11, the disciples come back and say, oh Jesus, teach us how to pray. You'd think that would have been a helpful question before they went, yeah? You're going to send me out to pray. Well, I kind of need to know how to pray. But what happened is as they did the work of the kingdom, they suddenly realised that they didn't know how. And so it's not that we don't do the work of the kingdom, it's just that we understand that if we're doing it, it's that we may become it. Make sense? You still with me? Didn't lose you on that last turn? Cool. Okay. To see transformation or change... To become something that we are not, something has to happen to create the change. For me to change, something has to happen. Let me illustrate this um, perhaps like this. I want to become a professional rugby player. Okay? I want to become something. I'm going to have to change what's going into me in order that what's coming out of me is going to change. I'm going to have to work out a whole lot more than I ever have before in my life. I'm going to have to drink a lot of protein drinks. I'm going to have to have a personal trainer at the gym. I'm going to have to eat different foods. I'm going to have to watch more rugby than I've ever watched in my life. I'm going to have to do certain fitness exercises. I'm going to have to change the input. Make sense? If after I've changed the input, after a period of time, the output hasn't changed, if I don't know how to then take the input and exercise it that I may be a professional rugby player, if I don't make a super, are we still super 15? Is that what we're up to? If I don't make a Super 15 rugby team, then I haven't become a, rugby, a professional rugby player. I just carry the desire to be, but it hasn't happened. Make sense? So there has to be an input that creates the change, and there has to be an output that releases the change. And in the kingdom of God, this is something that God has taught me this year, and if, if you haven't caught anything else, I just really, really pray that this resonates not here, but here, that... In the kingdom of God, the input that allows us to become the kingdom is sonship. The output that allows us to minister in the power of the kingdom is exercising our gift. The input of sonship, the outflow of gifting. The inflow of sonship, the outflow of gifting. I want to use the word sonship specifically, and ladies, please know that this includes you, because... When Jesus talks about being a son of God, there were things within the Jewish culture, and I don't know many of them. There are others that could teach far more um, articulately and with much, much more knowledge. But within this book, firstborn sons and sons had a right that daughters did not. And so I want to call all of us sons for a, for a, just for tonight. And so when I say the word sonship, I mean all of us. If it's weird for you ladies, just remember that we have to be the bride of Christ. And I'm also comfortable to talk about that. <laughs> So we're all sons for the purpose of this, okay? So there's an inflow of sonship into our life and there's an outflow of gifting. What's the inflow of sonship? I think I've shared this here before and if you've heard it before, I apologise, but I really I want to share it again. I challenge you to find a surname in this Bible. I challenge you to find a last name. My name's Jonathan Norman Big Shame Gilling. I have a first name, a middle name and a surname. Abraham who? Noah who? Jesus who? John who? Luke who? They don't have them. 
See, in Jewish culture, when you introduced yourself, you'd walk into a room and you'd say, Hi, my name's Isaac. And nobody would care what your first name was. But then you'd say, I'm the son of Abraham. My name is Isaac, son of Abraham. And all of a sudden, people would turn and look and listen because you carried the authority, the power, the reputation, not of you, but of your father. That's why, Jesus want, that's why the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus in John chapter 5. It says that, that Jesus called himself a son of God, therefore making himself equal with God. What he was saying in Jewish culture was, I'm the son of God. So my reputation, my authority, the power in which I stand is not of mine but of God. And that's why it was so blasphemous for them that they wanted to kill him. It's phenomenal, hey? And so when we stand in the inflow of sonship, what happens is God flows into me, not based on what he's gifted me on, not based on who I am, not based on what I can do, but based on the reputation of Father. And I carry the, the identity, the power, the authority, the grace, the love, the mercy of Father. And then he gives us all gifts that that revelation may flow out of us. But here's what happens with most of us. We don't carry a revelation of sonship, and so we try and take the gift flowing out of us and turn it back on ourselves to bring our affirmation. It's like when I stand up here, I'm just going to be vulnerable and bluntly honest. When I stand up here, there is a battle between my soul and my spirit. My soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, carries desires that are aligned partly to the kingdom of God and partly to the kingdom of Johnny because I'm a work in progress. So I have two choices up here. I can listen to the Spirit and do whatever Holy Spirit directs, regardless of how it makes me look, or I can be worried about how I look to you and I can say, I want to be liked by you and therefore I'm going to manipulate what comes out of me that I may turn what comes out of me back on itself and bring me glory and bring me affirmation. Make sense? If your output exceeds your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. Okay, what? <laughs> If your output exceeds your input, then your upkeep will be your downfall. Why? Because ultimately, if I care how well I operate in the gift, aside from the desire to mature the gift, but if I care how well I operate in the gift, then what I'm doing is I'm saying I'm not getting enough from sonship. I'm not, my input isn't enough. My output is exceeding my input. So I'm going to turn my output back on my head that I may be able to get enough affirmation to continue to walk in a hard environment, in a challenging environment, in a beautiful environment, but a hard one at times. And that's going to be my downfall. Because the gift that is supposed to bring glory to Christ and bless the body, I seek to bring glory to Johnny and bless Johnny. And so someone who understands becoming the kingdom knows that the only way that Christ is going to flow, sorry, not the only way, one of the main ways that God is going to flow into your life is in the revelation of sonship, what it means to be a son of the king. And I know that we've probably, in our absence, you've probably covered a whole lot of this stuff, but I really had it on my heart to, to define that equation for us here tonight because it raises some really, really cool questions. One, do I have a revelation of sonship? If I do, how mature is the revelation? How great is the revelation? Two, what's my gift? 
Well, that's my gift. Like, nothing excites me more than the concept of being loved by God and then being able to release that love over the body of Christ. I was talking about unity before. Do you know that God has banked his whole strategy for reaching the world? He's banked it all on how we look. I honestly believe that. I believe he has banked everything. That city out there, God has by his grace. It says, the Bible says that we have the faith to believe in salvation even comes from God so that no man may boast. So I have by his gift walked into salvation. And the, the design that he has so carefully crafted up is that we would be so glorious that a world would look and go, I see the glory of something that is not of man and woman upon you. I see a supernatural glory upon you. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 5. You don't need to turn there because I want this to wash over you. This blows my mind. Christ loves us, the church, and gave himself up for us so that he might sanctify us, having cleansed us by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself us in all our glory. It says that he wants to present to himself a church in all her glory. It doesn't say in all his glory. It says in all our glory. Now our glory is his glory gifted into us, but he wants us to experience glory. Getting, does this like do something on your spirit? Does this make you go, yeah! Maybe not literally, because it would be really weird if one of you did, but if one of you wants to, go for it. Because this is good news. And he's banked everything that in unity we may be glorious. Everything. And I go, oh, Jesus, help me. Help me in my fear and my pride and my unbelief. Help me. Give me a revelation, a revelation of sonship in deeper measure. So that if I stand up here and make an absolute fool of myself, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that I go home at night and I walk into King Daddy God's castle and I make my way to my bedroom, which is just down the hallway from the throne room, and my daddy comes in to tuck me in and give me a hug before I go to sleep. I'm still a son. Now, if I perform poorly, yeah, I want to receive feedback that, that the gift may mature, that the body may be more blessed. Make sense? It's not that we don't care about how the gift comes out of us, but it doesn't define us. Our actions do not define us. Jesus was not defined by his actions. His identity was not defined by his actions. His actions were defined by his identity. His actions were defined by who he is. And if, if we don't catch the revelation of sonship, what happens... And you see it time and time and time and time and time again. People try and take their gift, exercise their gift for their own glory to make them feel okay about who they are in the kingdom and it all comes crumbling down. There's the inflow of sonship and the outflow of gifting. Don't turn a principle into a law. That's a principle. The inflow of sonship, the outflow of gifting, that's a principle. I believe it's a Holy Spirit, God-anointed principle, but it's not law. Why do we turn a principle into law? Because if we can turn it into law, we don't have to keep listening to him. We can just operate in the principle. The law 
We, we try and make things legal because it cuts out intimacy. We try and take something like that and, and turn it into, if I just get the inflow of sonship and the outflow of gifting, I'm going to be sweet because it means I don't have to listen to him anymore. If I make it law, he, he has no purpose. There's a difference between love and intimacy. Sorry, I'm tangenting all over the place, but I'm just trusting that, that, that God's going to do something. There's a difference between love and intimacy. To say that I have love for God is that in his presence, something happens in my heart, something is stirred in my heart. But if I have intimacy with God in his presence, something is stirred in my heart, and I know what's happening in his. I know what's happening in God's heart. In his presence, I know what he wants to do. That's what happened there. For a brief moment, I I had intimacy with God because I come in and I go out and I come in and I go out because Johnny isn't perfect. But I had intimacy with God and I knew that he wanted to do something there because I knew his heart. Because I was intimate with him, which was the gift that the worship team gave me, which was then a gift that I was able to give back. Isn't that fun? Isn't that cool? And so there's a difference between love and intimacy. And for so much of the church, we're stuck in love and we never get to intimacy. We stay stuck in love, so we take a principle and turn it into a law because we're not intimate. And that's the invitation. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, what's the byproduct of love? Intimacy. You'll know him. You'll love others. And you'll walk together. That's the wonder of the invitation. Okay, I'm going to finish. I want to pray for some of you. I said at the beginning that... um, I wanted to hug you and speak the word of the Lord over you. And that hasn't changed. <laughs> we, um, while we were away... Oh, by the way... Oh, yeah, no, never mind. Um, while we were away... So bad, the things that kind of just pop into your head and you nearly go and then Holy Spirit's like... Yeah. It's one of the beautiful byproducts of intimacy and one of the tragic realities of just love. Because that's the thing, if we're truly intimate with him, we can never say anything that hurts another. If we're truly intimate with him, we can never say anything that hurts the world. Sorry, let me rephrase. We can never say anything in a spirit of hurt. It might create hurt, but that has nothing to do with how it was released. Nothing. There was no spirit, no intention, no, no hurt. Um, so I want to pray for some of you. I want to hug some of you if that's what you want. Um, perhaps we can get some girls to come and hug some girls because that would be good. Um, <laughs> sometimes boundaries are really appropriate. It's okay. Um, and I want to pray for you. So if you, somewhere in that jumbled mess... Um, have a sense that, that God is speaking to you. Here's, here's, here's how I want to do this. Worship team is going to come back. Here's how the Holy Spirit wants to do this. Worship team is going to come back. We're going to sing. If you feel the presence of God moving on you, then you can take that as a sign that he wants you to respond to this. Because I don't want this time to be about what I want or you want. I want it to be about what he wants. And so I'm trusting that if he wants me to pray for you and I want to anoint, anoint people that come forward as becomers of the kingdom, as sons and daughters, becomers of the kingdom, the very essence of the kingdom in here and who you are. But I want it to be aligned to what he's doing in you right now. 
And if he's not doing that in you right now, praise God, he's doing something else. So it's not about who comes forward and who doesn't. But what I want you to do is say, God, is this what you're doing with me right now? Is it what you're doing? And if it is, give me the courage to respond and step forward. And I'll pray for you. There'll be a team of people here that will pray for you as well and anoint you as a becomer of the kingdom. Anointing in the, um, in the Old Testament was really special. It was when King David was anointed, they, they poured like this massive jar of oil over his head. And we're not going to do that, but he poured this massive jar of oil. Samuel poured it over his head and he was just dripping with it. And it was like he was marked with a sign as the king. Have you ever got oil on you? really doesn't come off. Like you get in the shower and you scrub and you get out and you just still feel all icky. And oil marked him. It, it was a physical sign that he was to be the king. And so if you sense that this is what God is doing, I want to mark you as a becomer of the kingdom. It was also a sign of, of power and flowing over that everything that David needed to be the king came from God. And so that's what anointing is about if, if you've never come across that before. It's not scary, it's really beautiful. We only have a little bit of oil, um, so you're not going to get drenched. We'll just put a little bit on your forehead. Um, because I, if, if you sense God is, is wanting you to respond, please do. Please do. He just wants to give you a gift tonight. So we're going to sing at any stage um, during worship you feel. Just come forward and there will be people here to pray for you, okay? Thank you so much for having me tonight. We love you deeply, deeply, deeply. And you are very, very, very precious to us. Thank you.